Welcome to Might Could, Stories of Innovation in the ATL, a new series from the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation. In conversation with thought leaders and change makers in higher education, nonprofits, and industry, we'll explore why Atlanta is the innovation capital of the Southeast. Welcome to Might Could, Stories of Innovation in the ATL, brought to you by the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation. Today's special guest is Leandra Jordan, currently Senior Program Manager and Site Lead at the Garage at Microsoft Atlanta, where she has also held the position of Program Manager. She is an entrepreneur and has worked as a Georgia WorkReady Administrator, acting as a direct public liaison for the Georgia WorkReady Partnership and contributing to the successful certification of over 1,500 examinees in the Clayton County area and as a consultant for Clayton State University and a regional lead for the Microsoft Certified Trainer Program. In her current role, she designs programs and experiences for Microsoft employees, customers, and partners that drive collaboration, creativity, and experimentation. The motto, doers, not talkers, is at the core of what the garage is and what it delivers. Leandra holds an MBA from Keller Graduate School of Management of DeVry University, a BA in Business Information Systems from DeVry, and multiple Microsoft certifications, and is the Microsoft Global Hackathon 2021 award winner. Leandra, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So as we kick things off today, I wonder if you could tell our listeners more about the Microsoft Garage and work you do today. Sure. So the Microsoft Garage is an innovation program um, where we are doers and not talkers, as you mentioned. Um, we are truly a safe space for Microsoft employees to come in and experiment and ideate and collaborate and do it all in the name of passion, as well as having a growth mindset. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, you serve, uh, as you mentioned, an employee audience, but also uh, partners, others outside of Microsoft. I wonder how uh, you design in a way that helps you to really serve both the passion and the needs of those different audiences and stakeholders. Yeah, like, yeah, we do work with employees, um, but interns and guests and our customers, we collaborate with our customers. Um, and we do this through looking for form and testing and growing concepts as effectively as possible. We actually have a framework that we work within, which is known as the Garage Grow Framework. And it's basically a compilation of best practices that we've learned in the garage. And it builds out a methodology that um, hacking is for everyone. And um, we learn how to be brilliant and take your brilliant ideas and make it real from ideating to hacking to validating to sponsorship. So I can't help but wonder uh, what some of those best practices are. We've been very uh, responsive by design here at the Hatchery. We're always trying to start with getting an understanding of what the end users needs are, in our case, the end learners, and then uh, designing from there the programs that they need. 
What are some of the things that you have found to really be uh, effective uh, in terms of delivering what your audiences need? Yeah, one of the things that we found in the garage is that everything starts with the passion, right? And you hone in on that passion through ideation. Sometimes it's formal ideation. Sometimes it's informal. Most certainly it can be aligned with life experiences or lived experiences, but it all starts with the passion. And you ideate and you create a concept. And from there, you know, you bring that concept to hacking. And that's what we do here at Microsoft, the garage. We drive a hack culture. And that's all about creating a proof of concept. And then when you have that proof of concept, it says, where do you go from there, right? So you're, you're looking for validation. You need to validate that proof of concept um, to arrive to a vetted solution. And um, we find most of the times, once you've validated, you've had validation, you have that proof of concept, and it is a vetted solution that you should, or, and, and, I, and I won't say should, I have a colleague that says, Leandra, just don't should all over yourself. But we've learned that it is a best practice but to find a sponsor, right? Someone who can help you achieve those outcomes. Sometimes it's financially, or sometimes you just need a sounding board, right? Someone that is willing to invest in you in some way. So I want to come back to this question of the hackathon culture, because it sounds like that's really at the backbone of what you do in many ways. But one thing that really strikes me is that you've had to function like a small startup inside a broader ecosystem in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. And that's true of the hatchery too, but I think we have very different stakeholders and goals. So on the one hand, you're a nexus of experimentation for Microsoft, kind of a lean driver of internal change and growth. And on the other hand, you serve as sort of an external doorway for the customers and the community onto the, uh, the vast resources of Microsoft and, and at a minimum onto this kind of culture of hacking within Microsoft that they can then take back out in the community. So uh, do you do those two primary functions of the garage sometimes compete or create competing tensions or is there unification through process or area of focus that makes those different types of work uh, more similar than they might appear at a glance? Absolutely, you said it, unification. Um, we most certainly take a build with approach, right? You know, if, you, if you're not honed in, and, and for me, and this is me personally, it goes beyond the target audience, right? You know, yes, there are identifying elements that you hone in for marketing purposes and identify a target audience, but you can't be, um, you can't necessarily focus or hone in unless you are customer obsessed. And one of the ways we approach that is by building with our customers, if you will, or building with communities. Just depends. It could be customers. It could be internal community. It could be most certainly an external community like you, right? Like the Emory Hatchery, you know, when the garage meets the hatchery. So we take a build with approach when it comes to um, uh, building out concepts and hacking with our customers and in the ecosystem. So that's a really clear statement of kind of the approach you take. And then the mechanism you, you often use seems to be the hackathon. So Microsoft really declares that it has a hack culture and the garage positions itself as kind of a portal to that culture. Your website says, 
we believe hacking is for everyone, technical and non-technical. Everyone has unique skills, experiences, and interests to contribute. We recognize good ideas can come from anywhere, regardless of role or discipline. Everyone is challenged to give it their all, to experiment with technology, and to turn ideas into real projects in a fun, supportive atmosphere. So first of all, love that statement as a very purposeful, very focused, and very inviting at the same time. Um, and I'll also say, I think it's a broad and aspirational vision of hacking. And I wonder if you could talk uh, about some of the logistical challenges of delivering such a broad vision that hacking is for really everyone. Yeah, it's definitely a broad vision. Um, um, but you know what is one that can be tackled, that we aim to tackle. So over the years, it has been challenging. You know, the term hacking can be loaded because the first thing most think about are technical aspects of hacking. Um, so the way we approach that in the garage is that we take a segmented messaging approach, right? Um, there's a messaging for designers and just the same, there's a different, or shall I say, there is a different message for sales or even finance, but either way, the unified message is that there is a place for everyone on a team. I mean, if you think about it, our engineers, they are focusing on um, developing um, based on uh, our customer obsession, right? They take the feedback and they work toward um, a target, a target, targeted goal. But just the same, someone has to pitch that idea, right? So there goes our sales folks. Um, you know, then someone, you know, we think about budgeting or cost um, on both sides of the spectrum where ergo finance. So when you're on a hack team and we're talking about hacking in a team and breaking down silos and collaborating with individuals that you wouldn't normally work arm in arm with in your day-to-day -day role, well, we are most certainly most certainly encouraging a hack culture in that respect. And we let everyone know that there is a role for you on a hack team, regardless of your day-to-day, -day, there's a role for you. Now, with that said, I know plenty of sales folks here at Microsoft. I geek out with them every Friday and I am always inspired about their personal passions. Right? So in their day-to-day, -day, they're part of a sales team and they have a goal. But on the weekends, they're using IoT to you know, program their blinds in their home and they're sharing out their projects. And it's so funny, it's like, wow, yeah, they're sales folks. That's the hat that they wear during the day. But on the weekend, man, technology drives their passion. So there is just so much in that answer that I think is really interesting for people who are interested in innovation work in any form. One thing I'll say for entrepreneurs who've been doing innovation work within an organization, I don't want people to not notice the importance of something you just said about how the, there's a unifying message but then you've really figured out how to position the value proposition of hacking to each of these individual groups. I yeah. think it can be so easy to 
for, to overlook that work, to assume that because you're all aligned around the bigger message of the need for, for change, for evolution, for growth, that you can forget how to actually convey it to the individual groups in a way that makes it tangible to them and they really actually get behind it. Because people love to save behind something big and abstract and exciting and shiny. But truth told, when it comes to allocating resources or spending their time, um, they have to really hear a message that is super targeted to them. It seems like that's one of the kind of the upsides or positive outcomes of this, uh, this universal hacking culture that you've figured out how to sell it to each individual group in ways that get these really diverse teams involved. But I'm wondering if you could maybe talk about other uh, positive outcomes that have surprised you or delighted you in terms of taking such an inclusive view of hacking and, and which of these has been most enhanced by incorporating broader and broader audiences into this hacking culture, like outside partners, et cetera? Yeah, good question. Thank you. Um, just recently, um, we, well, let me first say this. We have um, the Garage is a global program within um, Microsoft, and we have to date 13 staffed sites, one you know here in Atlanta, Georgia, but it spanned from Redmond um, all the way to Africa. Right, we have two sites opening up in Africa right now. And um, in Dublin, which is where we have another site, they had a talk, a garage talk where they brought in a young lady and she um, uses a wheelchair. And um, she talked about her live or lived experiences, right? And she talked about starting her own business. So she is a business, she is an entrepreneur. She and her sister works work together and they design wheelchair covers. Um, I was excited to see after hearing her speak and learning a lot, like if you, you know, I say, if you're not learning, you're not living. That's just my personal um, take on it. You know, I, I try to learn every day. I am not a know-it-all, but I am most certainly a learn-it-all. And so I was inspired by her talk for more than one reason. I also learned something new. And then next thing you know, I see her featured um, <laughs> on television and Microsoft ended up collaborating with this young lady to help her get her designs out for the wheelchair covers. And if I remember correctly and I stand corrected, I tell you, ask your audience, go out there and stick it out. Um, I believe she has a Barbie doll. I could be off base with this, but I believe she has a doll. So Now that's I, when you know you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is cool. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's a great concrete example of the process, inviting people into that process, and then, you know, developing something through that uh, mm -hmm. interaction that helps the company to learn, helps them to help somebody they've brought in as a learner. Uh, in the broader sense, that's I like that synergy. I want to go to this question of if you're not learning, you're not living, which is just, I love that. Um, as a guy who has uh, more degrees that are a hard sell than just about anybody alive, I, <laughs> I think that's a great statement 
Um, there are several garage sites, as you mentioned, around the world. And um, one of the things that the garage states is that the garage team develops online and in-person programming at each location tuned to the needs of the global and local community. So what are some of the needs you've identified specific to the Atlanta ecosystem? And what are some of the programs that you're in the process of thinking through to address those needs? Okay, so let me first um, recognize the fact that our global hackathon, it is one of our global programming, right? Like all, all employees are welcome, all um, FTEs as well as interns are welcome to participate. And we also hack with our customers. Um, so that's an example of a global programming effort. And then yes, um, you have your local site. So here, the way I have approached it here as Microsoft Atlanta is coming online as we speak, we'll be rising and shining real soon. Um, I look at the local ecosystem, right? The culture of the city. And um, I take an outside in approach, like infusing the city culture into the site. And I, and I will say this, not because I have to, I really, really mean this. Microsoft is doing a great job as someone who has lived in Atlanta since grade school. I believe they're doing a great job of infusing the local culture into every aspect of what we're doing here from the artwork in the building, the artwork that you can see on the outside of the building, the guests that they welcome in, um, they welcome into our world, if you will, the outside in approach. I'm truly, truly proud of that. So it's relatively rare that you get to speak with an Atlanta. <laughs> um, you know, it's so funny because obviously there are millions of them, but it feels like so many people here, especially in recent years, have come from elsewhere. Um, and I'm one of them. And uh, one of the things that has really struck me about the culture of this city, and it carries through to the entrepreneurship and innovation culture of this city, is the degree to which people help one another and share resources. Um, I've been in other cities where it feels like everything's a competition. Uh, and it, Atlanta feels like a surprising support network. So that's one thing I would say about the culture of the city and the way it carries through to work environments and innovation environments. As somebody who really grew up here, what do you see as some of those unique features of Atlanta that are carrying through um, to Microsoft and to the, the innovation work you support? One of the things that stands out to me is that um, the Southern hospitality, you know, you hear it, Southern hospitality, what does that mean? Like you try to describe it, but it's almost indescribable. And even with the question that you just asked me, it's almost indescribable. It's a vibe. You feel it. You just feel it. When you hit the door, you feel it. When you meet someone from Microsoft Atlanta, it's just a warm, welcoming feeling, which reinforces, you know, our efforts such as um, diversity and inclusion. And I'm an example of that. I, I must say, I, I am an example of that. I'm going to be very honest with you. Being a person in tech um, from the Black community, no matter where I go, and I've been an active participant in the tech industry for, I don't want to tell my age, but a couple of days. <laughs> I, have, I have generally been the only one in the room. Literally, that, that's real. 
the only one in the room. And when I step on campus here at Microsoft, and as I, even in the virtual world, it just feels good to connect with someone that looks like you and who is an ally and who's a champion. And when we talk about being allies, there are different types of allies, okay? Different areas and all are appreciated, but active allies, you know, to be arm in arm with that and to, you know, uh, uh, grow our culture of innovation and our culture of, of um, just our culture period, right? Like um, changing and future forward and to do that arm in arm, that is a good feeling. And I say that from experience, my lived experiences. That's great. Um, it is something that I've felt here too, as uh, somebody who's just very obviously from outside Atlanta. I was born near Detroit, grew up out West. And as I got involved in this ecosystem time and again, I felt like there were people who took an active interest mm -hmm. in helping. And I think that hospitality is palpable um, you know, to everyone. I'm, I'm glad to hear that that is an experience that has marked some of what you're, you're seeing at, at Microsoft as well. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd love to do is identify some of those areas where collectively we can all help uh, to actively support. Um, and one thing that's really struck me in conversations, other micro conversations with innovators and entrepreneurs across the city mm -hmm. is that Atlanta has this economic diversity where it is a leader in so many sectors and industries mm -hmm. that sometimes it doesn't get the credit it deserves for any one of those. So. Yeah. Granted, probably transportation, fintech, there are a few where everybody seems to know us, but you know, it's not like it doesn't have a brand like Silicon Valley, right? Um, and so I wonder uh, if what you see as those sectors or industries for which Atlanta deserves to be better known regionally or globally, and what you think we can all do to sort of actively support um, that development well, the latter, the one you mentioned, that that's just the first one that comes to mind. I mean, we have Georgia Tech here, right? Like Microsoft Atlanta is near Georgia Tech Square. And yet we are not necessarily, it's almost like we're flying under the radar, known as a tech conglomerate, right? As a city. And we are. And you have the largest H, one of the largest HBCU clusters here, you know, Morehouse, Morris Brown. Clark, Spelman, we have dual programs in our HBCU cluster with Georgia Tech. So they're engineers that um, they go through their schooling at the HBCUs and then later in their year, maybe they senior year. And like I said, I tell your listeners, fact check me, I'm okay with that. I'm always learning. But um, they have a collaboration or a dual program where they go over to Georgia Tech. And that's one of the reasons why Georgia Tech has one of the largest um, graduating, black graduating engineering classes. Um, in addition to that, we're not gonna leave Georgia State University out. That's a growing institution over there. And you know, I'm not gonna move on without talking about Emory University because that is where I got my inspiration. My mother worked at Emory University for 13 years when I, um, 
when we moved here and I was a little girl in elementary school, um, that my mother's first employment was there at Emory University. She grew in her career and she ended up in the computing center. And I remember vividly visiting her, you know, after school and in the summers and just watching them work in the computing center. And that was one of the most diverse environments I had been in. And I mean diversity in skill set, diversity in culture, diverse ideas. I remembered some of the interns that were there when I was a little girl. Those are my friends today, to date. So I think when it comes to education and tech, those are the first two things that come to mind. It's interesting. Those are two claims that I've often made. And I think that um, in particular, the ways that they're intertwined go underappreciated. People don't seem to understand the ways that the higher education uh, ecosystem here is intertwined with tech in this city too. Um, and uh, that's, I also didn't realize you had that Emory connection. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the areas of tech, to go mm -hmm. back to this question of where we maybe don't get the credit we deserve, fintech seems to be top of mind for people when they think of tech in Atlanta. What else do you see uh, as the technology industries where Atlanta has unrecognized or underrecognized strengths? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I don't. I'm sorry, but my mind just keeps going back to entrepreneurship and um, the cultures within the tech industry that are usually underrepresented, underestimated, some folks say underestimated, but Atlanta just is just truly a hustle and bustle city, right? Like we are hustlers in every sense of the word um, in a positive light. And even when you say under recognized industries, I just can't think of an industry. I just think of the people. That's what I think. I think we are underestimated sometimes, oftentimes. Couldn't agree more. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that there's so much hustle in this city ends up ironically fueling this lack of understanding mm -hmm. more broadly of our strengths because we succeed everywhere in some ways you know yeah. what i mean i mean it's hard to name sectors mm -hmm. or industries where atlanta doesn't have some strong presence and i want to if you don't mind i'd like to flip the question is there one that industry that comes to your mind so higher education is often top of mind for me um and i also think though that as much as we've gained a reputation in recent years as a media center and as much as some of that has maybe taken a bit of a ding with some of the changes made um, you know, to Turner Broadcasting and the ways that things have been shuffled around, I think that we still don't get enough credit um, for media and uh, you know, film industry, television industry. Um, you can't ignore Tyler Perry Studios, right? Yeah. This often you hear people talk about Turner and you hear them forget that or BET or there's just so much going on in the media space in this city. And then let's not forget news. Um, and then I also am seeing a lot of small media groups emerging here. And then I'm seeing all of the 
clusters of service industries that support yeah. all this media group from casting agencies to a lot of freelance um, you know, media uh, talent. It's just an amazing, again, diversity of skill sets around an industry, just like this city has an amazing diversity of industries. Yeah. Um, it, it just, I see it over and over. But yeah, higher education is another one where I think people forget about this HBCU cluster, or they know a couple of those schools, and they don't realize the combined impact or the extent to which uh, all of these universities locally are collaborating uh, more and more. Emory and Georgia Tech have made that a big focus. Georgia Tech and the HBCUs have made that a big focus. Georgia State is on the rise, as you point out. And uh, it's exciting um, to see the interconnection between all those elements. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're someone that has, you know, grown up in the city and this, you know, you're part of the city and to see the growth is truly exciting. So one of these questions then for, for folks who work as innovators and entrepreneurs in the city, what do you think we can do to continue to build the city's reputation and spread the word of these many successes? You know, there are different avenues to get where to where we would like to be, right? And I think it's never ending. It never stops, right? The future for it, it's, there is no end, if you will. But I believe STEM is a great you know, uh, gateway to covering a lot of ground, right? As it is science, technology, engineering, and also inserting arts and math. So going from STEM to STEAM and supporting those efforts, supporting our grassroots nonprofits and programs where, you know, they're, they're truly in the trenches, right? They're some of the first ones, that's why it's called grassroots. They're the first ones to encounter and identify um, possibilities before we even get a hold to it. And I'm saying we, as in you and I, you know, we, we both are part of programs that have um, grown have shown growth. And so that's why I like working with the community. I work with, you know, Microsoft Philanthropies. I'm just going to name drop and give a shout out to Darrell Booker, uh, Microsoft Philanthropies. He's um, part of his portfolio is nonprofits and those grass, identifying those grassroots uh, community um, contributions. So I love the way you tackle that question. So often if I ask a question like that, uh, people will address sort of the end of the equation. They will talk about the need for more unified communications efforts or uh, for a sort of larger presence for Metro Atlanta because it's underrepresented within um, the, the whole conversation and the political scene around Atlanta. Uh, as a larger metropolitan area. But you went to the beginning. You talked about the education that lays the foundations for empowering more people to get into the hustle mm -hmm. uh, about the organizations that support people uh, in these grassroots bottom-up efforts. And I think that that is a great message for entrepreneurs and innovators listening to this show. Let's so not forget, you know, that the entire acquisition funnel starts somewhere, right? Yeah. And you have to have the right good intentions and put the right things in place to make the, the front end of that funnel as big as you can and bring as many people into the process as yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, 
so many young entrepreneurs and innovators listen to this show, and we will often ask questions uh, that try not only to give them a lay of the land, but also give them a sense of how to get started on this journey. So I think you've just pointed to two things there, you know, STEAM education, uh, getting involved in grassroots efforts. But what other Atlanta resources and experiences would you encourage uh, young innovators and entrepreneurs to seek out? I, I, if anything, I would like to say when the approach that I've always taken throughout my life, and I want, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a moment. Of, you know, I know I said we came here when I was in grade school. My family came here by way of um, Selma and Birmingham. Alabama. And we were always told, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And you hear that, right? Like I, I say that to my kids as well. You can do, you can be whatever you want to do and be right. But I've always taken that to heart growing up. If I want to be a nurse, then I lean in and I find out what it is that I need to do to get me closer to that goal. I've just always been that way. And I also want to say, that sometimes you may not know. It's okay to not know, right? Sometimes it just takes networking or um, just plugging in. Like me, my influence, I believe exposure and influence is key only because I was going to the computing center after school and in the summers going to hang out with my mom. To be honest with you, I was introduced to computers. Not sure if I would have been introduced to it otherwise. So I think exposure is key. Um, and, and just really doing it, doing it in a selfless way, right? Like not expecting to receive, get anything back, but volunteer. Right? That's a great way to start. Volunteer. Speak to people that you wouldn't normally speak to, right? Sit down and have a conversation. You never know where that may go. So I'm curious, I, in terms of the many places that people could plug in, could gain exposure, and could do it in a selfless way where it's about genuine conversation or about doing uh, you know, work on behalf of others. What are some of those places within this city where you would uh, suggest people get started or um, they were helpful to you as you got started in moving from an interest that you were exposed to to something more purposeful and eventually something professional? Yeah, and, and I know, I know people are going to say, she's saying volunteering, you know, sometimes we're in, a, we're in, a, we're in a, a day and age where I know my youth, I have children, you all, I have young children, we want it now, right, they want it now, everything is on demand, on demand, on demand, but I still say going back to the tried and true, um, hitting the pavement, as we used to say, and knocking on doors in reading more reading and introducing yourself to individuals that have like minds, join a meetup group, start a group, right? Start a group yourself. Exposure is key. It just goes back to exposure. And sometimes other individuals, um, we may expect others to expose us to things, right? And I know you're asking me where places they can go to pull from. You know what I'll say? Here's my advice. You start one yourself. Start a meetup. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
there is nothing more true to what you need to find than what you're going to find for yourself or start for yourself. So that's cool. So I'd like to switch gears uh, quickly from, we've been talking a bit about Atlanta innovation and and, uh, entrepreneurship resources. I want to go back to the question of innovation itself. And I think there's this common misperception or misconception that innovation is really about the big idea, the aha moment, and so much of it is about process. So what do you see as some of the biggest keys to success in, in innovation practice? And then I'm curious, if we change that question to focus on entrepreneurship specifically within all sorts of innovation, does that change your answer at all? Well, I'll start with the big idea, the idea, and you're right. Um, some individuals, and I know I said it earlier, um, honing in on your big idea, but as far from my perspective, any idea I have is a big idea. <laughs> It's a big idea because I actually thought through a concept, right? It, everything starts with an idea before you get to a concept, which is why I say it's the big idea. Because once you make a decision that you're going to move forward, that's when I think it becomes the big idea. So, you know, um, it's funny you asked that. I was just in a talk the other day and someone was talking about big ideas and what does that really mean and how do you identify a big idea? And I I thought it through and I was like, well, it's a big idea when I decide to act on it. That's when it becomes a big idea to me. That's a great point. And I think too often people will start to benchmark against external measures and then they can lose a sense of why this thing mattered to them in the first place. Right, that passion, right, that spark. And it goes back to the garage, you know, our garage growth framework and best practices. Everything starts with some type of passion, whether it was a passion through a bad experience, a passion um, from a good experience, whether it's a passion where you see a need and you're passionate about um, helping support or supply or fill a gap, you know, and address that need. But you really, it's still a process. You, you, you really don't skip over the steps. It's all the same. It starts with the passion. You ideate on it. You think about it. You build a concept. You, you know, you hack on it. You, you fail. You, you do it again, and you, you fail fast. And then you have your proof of concept. But then you validate it. At some point, you're validating. Okay, should I move forward with this, or should I not? Should I take a different approach? But either way, it's a validation process. And like I said before, there's nothing like having some type of sponsor or support system. So speaking of big ideas and working through a concept, uh, you were the 2021 uh, award winner in the Global Hackathon at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a little bit about what that big idea was and how you worked through it to get to a place where it was recognized? Absolutely. So in all fairness, being that the garage is the, is the um, organizer for our hackathon, it was something so simple, right? It was, I was challenged by the garage in Dublin. And actually all of the garage was challenged by the garage in Dublin. But for some reason, Linda Thackeray, shout out to Linda 
who is the site lead and senior director <laughs> of our garage at Dublin, also Africa, as well as Israel. She, she honed in, the Leandra, I would like to challenge you to help me break down silos. And that's what it was all about and bring back a little fun in such a trying time that we're having now. And so what she did was she challenged Atlanta to a hack dance. That's what it was. And we put our own little spin on it, gave it a little Atlanta flair, but it was all in the name of breaking down silos and also bringing some joy in such a, you know, a trying time. And it spread it like wildfire at the, um, at Microsoft and we were just so proud of it. And they gave me the award for the best remix, the best remix award. <laughs> well, you know what? That, now that is an honor. And I'm gonna say this too. <laughs> if, if Microsoft Atlanta had not beat Microsoft Dublin in a dance hack, yeah. I might've been worried. It speaks to culture again, that whole process, because in Dublin, they kicked it off. And um, during the break, their breakdown, there was a bit of riv river dancing. And you, you could just see the culture that was reflective of Microsoft Dublin. And I was like, okay, they're here in Atlanta. We're going to show them how it's done. It was so good. <laughs> so, let me ask just one more question before we wrap up today, which is, I want to, I don't want to lose this thread of passion. I, I think so often I'll hear people speak about innovation in terms of the goal or yeah. in terms of, I just want to move into a, a you know, a, a segment that isn't crowded or a sector that isn't crowded or an industry that isn't crowded. And I just feel like you never get there unless you love what you're doing and you're passionate about it. And one thing that all innovators and entrepreneurs in my experience seem to have in common is that they're always spotting real problems they wanna fix, mm -hmm. um, human needs that they wanna solve for. So I'm curious, what is one problem that you're still really passionate about and you mm -hmm. still wanna get more directly involved in solving and why? Um. I don't know if it's a problem, but we talked about it earlier. I wouldn't necessarily consider it a problem, but it definitely needs to be addressed. And letting everyone in, you know, um, supporting the city and our state and being the beacon of the South, right? Um, the tech hub of the South. As you mentioned, um, we have a tendency to be overlooked as just that. And it reminds me of Andre 3000 and outcast um, at one of the award shows. Not sure if you're familiar with Andre 3000, but he's one half of the group outcast. And they were at an award ceremony and all the talk was about other areas, geographical areas. And Andre, they won the award and Andre 3000 got up there and he said, you know what? The South got something to say. So that is my, that, I say that often, the South got something to say. <laughs> I knew where you were going with that. I remember that moment. And it was an exciting moment as somebody who'd been here just a few years and already sensed that, yeah. that there is so much here that's different and is unique and lends itself to processes and outcomes that are dynamic and exciting and, and mutually supportive and interesting in ways that no other place I've lived um, 
you know, has that kind of atmosphere and fuels those kinds of outcomes and solutions. I, I dig it here. So, um, well, Leandra, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciated this. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Is there anything else, um, given that there are a lot of uh, Emory students as well as a lot of entrepreneurs and, and innovators from across the city that listen to this show, that you'd want to kind of say to the local community on the way out uh, about your own work or about the work you're you're launching there at the garage? Yeah, I, well, first I want to just hopefully my words are encouraging to those um, to say number one to piggyback off what you just said is that if if you if it if you don't feel good about it, don't do it. Right, move with purpose and move with passion. And I know that word is a buzzword. We've mentioned it several times during our talk, but it's real. You feel it. You feel it. And if you're not feeling it, then let it go. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means reassess. Reassess what, what you're passionate about. Reassess and think about how you would like to make an impact. That's the driver right there. How would you like to make an impact? What does that mean? And so hopefully, uh, you know, those words are encouraging you to either keep doing what you're doing or reassess what you doing, you're doing, but do not stop. Don't stop. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Might Could, Stories of Innovation in the ATL. To hear additional episodes, search Might Could Stories on Spotify to find or subscribe to this podcast. For more information about the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation, visit hatchery.emory.edu.